How they get you. The podcast where we always pay special attention to messages from the sponsor. I'm Laura, <laughs> and I'm here with my friend Faye. Hi, I'm Faye, and I've worked in marketing and advertising since I realised that my history degree was of limited use and that none of those big history firms were hiring. The financial crash really... Uh, it, the recession really, really screwed us, humanities graduates, didn't it? I'm Laura Gilbert. I own a copy of Ogilvy on advertising and <laughs> may one day finish it. So uh, I've said it before, I will say it again. We both <laughs> bring plenty to the table. Shoot for the moon, kid. So uh, this is a podcast where we talk about marketing and advertising and brands and basically all the ways uh, these big companies try to compel you to buy their stuff. And this particular episode has been inspired by a listener's question. Friend and general legend Catwood asked us, how much do big advertising slots on the telly cost and how do companies know if it's worth it? We were going to cram her question to a general Q&A, but... We're not necessarily the best at having really Brevity. <laughs> Brevity is not our thing. So we we decided to go for a whole episode and we're going to cover how TV advertising works, how you get an advert onto screen in front of your eyeballs. We're going to look at how you get people to actually watch the adverts and not make a cuppa. And we're going to ask, what is the future of TV advertising in this modern world we all mm. live in with our crystal balls i'm excited are you excited faye i am gassed for this episode yeah tv you know again it's something that i've worked i've worked in for a while and then cat friend of the show sent in that question and we thought i guess there were going to be some pretty shocking things that come out here about how much tv costs jesus uh and some other fun things so let's crack on so I wanted to begin by saying that the first ever advert broadcast in America uh, went on screen on July the 1st, 1941. It was for Beluva watches, and it's got a guy uh, saying, America runs on Beluva time. Oh my god, I have a great fun fact about watches. So And watches and advertising, so it's very on topic, don't worry. Whenever you see a watch in an advert, the time is always around 10 past two, which uh, those in the watch industry call happy time because, I don't know, maybe it's a lovely symmetrical time, but honestly, look at any watch advert, 10 past two. Is it like a smiley face? Maybe it's a smiley face. It's happy time. You might be completely right. So there you go. Anyway, but the UK was a little bit behind. We didn't get our first TV advert until September the 22nd, 1955. And that was a very important day because that was the day ITV launched. Ah. Uh, ITV is the first commercial competitor for BBC. So before then, we've got, you know, lovely BBC just giving us this advert free content. And ITV was like, no, (laughs) ruined it. (laughs) You're missing an opportunity. Ah. So uh, can you guess what the advert was for, Faye? Oh, my God. Um, So what, what year did you say it was? 1955. Oh, was it for like a fridge or something? The explosion of consumer goods? I don't know. No. (laughs) It was for Jib's SR toothpaste. It was for toothpaste. Wow. Apparently there was a lottery for which brand would get to go first. And uh, this toothpaste brand won out against, you know, other things you might have heard of, like Guinness. Really? Yeah, I thought it was quite interesting because those are both brands I've heard of. I've does Jib's SR toothpaste exist anymore? Not to my knowledge, but again, if you are the Jib's SR toothpaste brand manager, please correct us. You're doing a terrible job. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> You're doing a fucking awful job. Um, the next day, Bernard Levin wrote in uh, the Manchester Guardian, I feel neither depraved nor uplifted by what I have seen, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Certainly the advertising has been entirely innocuous. I've already forgotten the name of the toothpaste. So uh, not a great review. Start for TV in the UK, no. Uh, And also, I love this, this is so petty. The same night ITV launched, Grace Archer was killed off in the BBC radio soap, The Archers. (laughs) Oh my God, what a fucking fuck you, two fingers to ITV. That's brilliant. 
Yeah, I just put a little thing in my notes saying, what do you think of that, Faye? But I know what you think of that, Faye. I I think it's very below the belt from the BBC. And for poor the actress that played Grace Archer, she was a pawn in this this game. She was collateral damage. (laughs) Oh, we never talk about the voice actors lost in the great battle between the stations. The first colour advert in the UK aired in 1969. Do you want to hazard a guess what that was? Um... Toothbrushes, dental floss, Listerine. It's, it's not the same theme. <laughs> well, then I am a lo- at a loss. Okay, bird's eyes peas. <laughs> it's <starting. laughs> it's real... Green in glorious technicolor. Oh, it's banging. Um, it was <laughs> reported that Unilever bought the spot for twenty three pounds, and like I know inflation is a thing, but that is a bargain, a steal. But I also thought I'd give you a little bit of information about TV ownership in general. Please. So in 1956, according to this wonderful graph I found, about 37% of private domestic households own TVs. Ten years later, 1966, it's up to 87%. Mm. At 1976, it's 97%. 97% TV ownership. Wow. Yeah, it's actually a little bit lower now. Mm, um, yes, yeah. So in 2019, it was around 95. And it's still very high. It's still the vast majority of people. But if you look at this on a graph, it's just shoots up very quickly and then mm. fairly levels off. But the growth was quite explosive over like those initial decades. But what we're talking about today isn't the 50s. It's not even the 60s. It's the current moment. We are no longer in Harry Crane's Mad Men world of TV and buying. I know I wanted to spend most of the episode talking about uh, Harry Crane, but I can't because it's irrelevant. (laughs) We're going to talk about TV advertising in the UK today. So we're going to begin with how does it work? When we're thinking about how the sausage gets made, the kind of nuts and bolts, I think it's helpful to maybe have a little example to guide us through. So I want to talk about Gaz. Long-time oh. listeners might remember Gaz from our episode about supermarkets. Gaz is a laundry detergent. It's been around for quite a few decades. So Gaz is going back on the TV. It's been on the TV before. We're going to do a whole little campaign. So, Faye, you're the brand manager of Gaz. How do you make sure our detergent powder gets on the small screen? So the first thing, the first thing you want to try and do with TV is try and figure out who you want to target. And you can, to a degree, target people on TV. So you're trying to figure out who specifically you want to reach through the TV. Exactly. Now, when a lot of people think about like TV advertising, they're like, how much does it cost to get into this spot? And I think that's what Kat's question was. like, How much does it cost to buy an advert here, buy an advert there? Really what you're trying to do as a brand and as a media planner or a person who buys TV, you're trying to buy to reach a specific audience. You're trying to buy to find people. The spots are a way to deliver to find those people. So it's a means to an end, if you like. So there are audiences that you can buy on TV. And one of the big questions is, you might be wondering, how do we know who is watching TV. How do we know they're even watching it at all? How do we know what age they are? One thing that people often ask, and something that I have often wondered, um, is how you know, like you know, when let's say a big program's on air, let's say Line of Duty, twelve million people watch the Line of Duty final. How do they know that? How how do you think they know that? I. I don't know. So um, there is something in the UK called the Broadcasters Audience Research Board, the BARB panel. The BARB. Everything that TV planners, people who work in TV, everything that they know about who's watching TV in terms of like number of people, but also like demographic, age, etc. Everything that the BBC know, everything that ITV know, all of the standard broadcasters is based on a panel of 5,300 households. So the data is all based on a sample of people whose almost part-time job is to record every single thing they watch on TV. 
That feels like a small number. Exactly. So let me tell you a bit about the Barb panel. Um, okay. So these people on the Barb panel, it's not just them sitting and being like, oh, yeah, I watched that. They have devices, so like monitors, trackers on their TV, which record the audio of what they're, what they're listening to. They have these remote controls, which means that every single person in the household can sort of click the buttons and use their remote control to identify that they're watching at a certain time. So basically every movement of everything they watch on TV is is tracked um, and recorded properly, not just like in a survey of what these people said they've watched. So, But that means that everything we know about audience viewing figures is is an estimate. Yeah. So I was doing some research into this and there was a great article in the Radio Times a few years ago by a guy called Thomas Ling. And one of the really interesting things that Thomas Ling said was, if you're the BBC and you're putting out a TV programme and you want it to do really well, you know, you often see BBC ITV Channel 4 advertising their shows, don't you? Like on the tube or on TV. He pitches that all of those adverts are almost targeting the barb panel people, these 5,300 households, because they're the ones that if they watch it, then the estimate of the viewing patterns of the general public will say that those programmes did well. So, interestingly, the first rule about being on the barb panel is you don't talk about the barb panel, because if people tweet that they're on the barb panel, obviously that's complete, like it's cronyism like it's it's just all it blows the whole thing wide open because then the bbc might just start serving them adverts about like this program so the concern is that the barb panel could be corrupt yes and if the barb panel are corrupted barb is like oh yeah everyone's watching itv because there's like been an influx because itv is i don't know exactly and then itv <laughs> could command a higher price for their adverts etc cetera, etc cetera. so the barb panel Yes, it, it does seem like the sample is quite small, but from everything we see, it's very, very well regulated. So I think we can, like people in the industry, we trust the bar panel that it's pretty accurate. And obviously, when one of the questions we talked about was how do you know if there are young people, older people, whoever demographics watching, it's because like that, that piece that I said about every person in a household individually records their habits. Uh, so let's say it's about 12,000 actual people living in those 5,300 households. Anyway, so I just thought that was interesting in terms of how we know who's watching TV. How do you get a job at the bar panel? Oh, this is another thing. So you can't apply, as far as I found, oh. to be in the bar panel. The bar panel finds you. <laughs> you get sponsored by the bar panel. Yeah, because I guess they need to have a representative sample, don't they? So. Very yeah, and if you're the kind of person who wants to be on the bar yeah. panel, you're not representative. Exactly. <laughs> okay, um, wild. Great. So that's how we get any kind of figures about who's watching what. So what that means is Gaz can try to buy its media to find a sort of maybe not laser targeted group of people, but it can at least try and rule out people it doesn't want. So let's say Gaz broadly wants to target quite big audience, maybe the main people in the household buying laundry products. So it can go to the media planners or the people who buy TV and say, what what audiences can I try and target to on, on TV? And these are quite big. So for example, there are about 30 audiences within the UK and Ireland TV market that you can try and isolate. And they're things like all adults, women 45 plus they are mainly demographic there could be a few class things in there as well and and the the way they the way they find those people is based on past viewing behavior from things like the barb panel so they know that women 45 plus they know what sort of viewing habits they have what sorts of programs they watch therefore when gaz goes to them and says i want to buy all of these people they go okay and they do all these complicated planning and algorithms to try and buy a load of spots in all the programs that they know will reach those people. So you as the brand manager go to the media planner and you're like, hey, I want women of X age to Y age because they're the kind of ladies who's going to buy gas. Yes. And the media planner is like, hey, I've got all this data. Also, presumably to a degree, they are thinking about new shows and new opportunities and I believe you've kind of said, we talked about this before, it's a mixture of art and science that you have to have a degree of creativity to effectively buy things whilst also 
using all this past data. So they're there and they're just like, okay, okay, cool. We're going to, we keep saying by people, which feels very disturbing. Yeah. And it's even more disturbing when in the industry, we often talk about eyeballs because really what the currency that TV is bought and sold in is it's called impacts. It's like what slots will hit what amount of eyeballs. So we're not, we don't like one slot doesn't have a certain value. It's the amount of people that slot reaches that has the value that TV is bought and sold on. Okay, so my eyeballs are very precious yeah, to you. Yeah, good. They um, are. If I'm your targeted audience. I guess the sort of preconception here would be you always just want to buy the biggest show, right? The slots in the biggest show. So you're like, hey, Line of Duty, loads of people are watching it. That's going to be the best one. But what you're saying is, well, that's not going to be any good because if the person you're trying to target isn't watching Line of Duty, you've just wasted a whole bunch of money or if you buy into line of duty every week you're going to be hitting the same people over and over again so what gaz really wants to do let's say we've got a big housewives audience gaz ideally wants to be able to reach as many people as possible in that housewives audience to get the most sort of efficiency for its money it doesn't want to be buying a load of impacts to the same people and then reaching only you know 30% of the target audience. You want to be reaching broad principles of how brands grow. I think we've talked about Byron Sharp and his principles of how brands grow, I think in the Yorkie episode before. You just want to be reaching as many people as possible, ideally without much overlap. So you don't want to be hitting the same people with like 10 adverts. You want your, otherwise you're buying loads and loads of spots um, and just wasting them. So the media planners, they've gone off. And they've figured this out. I now want to ask you about cost, which was Kat's big question. (laughs) How much does an advert cost? I'm assuming it's a little bit more than uh, what Bird's Eye paid back in the 60s. So there are lots of variables which which dictate how much TV costs, depending on all of that. But if we're looking for sort of a simple ballpark to start off with. So let's say like a big chunky campaign. Let's think John Lewis Christmas ad in the UK. They're probably trying to reach a really big mass audience. They're trying to make a big impact. So let's say John Lewis wants to reach 50% of all housekeepers in the UK in a given month as a sort of, I think that would be the minimum that they would be planning to reach, to be honest. How much do you think that would cost? Two billion (laughs) pounds. Not quite. Um, so it would be about anything I would say from absolute minimum 400 grand to over a million pounds for that one month in the UK. (laughs) And obviously this, like how much, like one of, you know, the absolute cost also depends on the market because that absolute cost is also calculated on a certain amount of like people. So people often will, will look at the island media costs for TV and say, oh, that's cheap, when that's because in Ireland there are 5 million people, whereas in the UK there are like 70 million. So obviously, you're, you're again, you're buying your cost per people. It's scalable versus how many people are in the market. So let's talk about the variables of those costs then. Please. Cool. So the main variable is is the audience. So this comes back to our target audience then. And some audiences are just cheaper to reach because they have heavy viewers. They watch a lot of TV. So let's say older people. Older people, like 55 plus, tend to watch a lot of TV um, in general, in the UK, in Ireland. So you know they're going to be watching all the time. You know they're probably going to be consuming like five or six hours of telly sometimes every day. When we're buying on impacts, so shows that reach a certain amount of people, you know that you can buy fewer of them and you're really likely to find that person watching TV because they're watching TV all the time. So you have to spend less money. You have to buy fewer spots, in essence, to reach a really big chunk of that audience. They're heavy viewers. They're an easier catch. You don't have to invest as much to catch their eyes. Exactly. Whereas a younger audience, so let's say young people, 16 to 34, nowadays they might spend a minimum of 10 minutes watching TV in a month. So if you know TV buying is all about opportunities to find these people based on your viewing habits, 
you know that these people, they're watching 10 minutes of TV a month. They might be only watching the really like big appointment to view shows like Gogglebox or X Factor Final or whatever. 10 minutes? 10 minutes. So you have to... I'm guessing that's a hard minimum. Like nothing is 10 minutes long on TV. Well, they might just, that's it. They might just be tuning in. They might just be just be popping on the telly they might have it on whilst mom's watching EastEnders and they might come into the room so you obviously have to buy a lot of spots just on the off chance that they might be watching them so you have to buy an awful lot of wastage basically because you're trying to reach let's say your 16 to 34s but that means you're going to spend your your advert is going to be seen by let's say older women who watch loads and loads of tv loads of times so you're you're showing your advert to people you don't want to show to so let's say you want to reach 70 percent of 16 to 34s you have to buy way more impacts than you would to reach 70 percent of women 45 plus so when you have like a smaller or a younger audience you get loads of wastage and tv buying just becomes really expensive because people have noticed that sometimes it feels like certain adverts are played you know a million times in a day I assumed that was because there was some kind of effectiveness in like, I don't know, really hitting the message home. But is that just waste? There can be a few different reasons for that. It can be, to be honest, like poor planning. So a lot of this planning is done by people. They'll be planning a lot of brands. They might be planning a lot of audiences. It's a, you know, big think big Excel spreadsheets, loads and loads of numbers and data. They could just end up buying the same spot in the same advert almost as a as a mistake like that's not considered quality and what a lot of people in the industry like myself will try and do is how how can we make sure that doesn't happen because then you're definitely delivering wastage so there is no kind of like advantage it is just sort of a it depends on your objective like if let's say you have a really short-term thing like let's say you want people to buy the lottery a lottery ticket that week you know let's rather than a real long-term brand building objective then yeah you might just need to deliver a load of frequency let's say you want to um enact a habit change for example you want people to enact a behavior change then you might need to tell them something five ten times to get them to do it versus an objective where you literally just want awareness and you just want to show them an advert and and kind of get it in their head over a long period of time you know so sometimes there are merits but it's quite wasteful by and And then another variable of cost can be seasonality so tv has some some times of the year buying tv buying tv adverts are more expensive some are cheaper when do you think the most expensive months are I'm going to say December. Actually, close. But think about when people do most of their, yeah, when people do most of their Christmas shopping. So October and November are by and large the most expensive months. A lot of TV is supply and demand. And I am no economist. I really struggle talking about this. So if you're an economist, please write in and correct me. But in the TV world, Supply is the amount of eyeballs, like the amount of people watching TV, and demand is the amount of ad spend, the amount of advertisers who want to get ad spend away to to spend and reach people. So in October and November, there were loads of advertisers who were like, I want to get ads on TV. So there's a real cluttered environment, lots of competition. Um, Obviously, everyone wants the real quality, the really good spots, et cetera, et cetera. So it does get really expensive around then. Let's say, for example, perfume brands, getting a good Christmas, a good Christmas of sales can make or break their whole year. So it can be a very important time. And um, another variable of cost is is deals. So we've talked about these big media planning agencies. We've talked about big brands with big advertising budgets and, and buying power. Often they they agree to spend so much with a TV station that they will get lower rates. They'll get cheaper deals so a big brand like maybe gaz might be able to get tv at a cheaper cost than like a new entry brand so there are loads of barriers to entry with tv which means it can favor bigger brands more established brands versus the little guys that's interesting so when you were saying before that huge possible range that's just depends on so many different factors Mm. but in general if we're going onto tv it's a chunk of change (laughs) It looks like kind of possibly hundreds of thousands to millions of pounds if you're doing a a good sized campaign. Um, I just want to ask you a question which kind of just sweeps all that stuff under the carpet because I want to ask you about sponsorship, Ah. which is not what you're talking about. That's not trying to 
buy eyeballs. That's trying to buy a TV show in a way. So say Gaz wants to seal the deal and become the Bake Off's sponsor. How would he do it and would it be worth it? Cool. So yeah, we've talked about Linear TV, which is the name for normal standard TV. Why is it called Linear TV? Well, people are watching it in the way that the schedules were lined up to be watched rather than watching on demand or iPlayer, your channel 4OD, that kind exactly. of Exactly. Talk about them. So there are various pros and cons of sponsorships and buying into a program. So yeah, like you said, with a bake-off, you're essentially buying little like five or 10 second things at the start and end of a program, which have your brand message. Then you are buying a program. Those things, they open and close all the time. So often a brand will sponsor something for ages. Sometimes the brand will be like, I don't want to sponsor this anymore. And it will open, it'll go onto the market and be available to other brands. In terms of pros and cons, like sponsorships can deliver awareness but you can't really get away like a brand message you're not allowed actually by law in the uk to add anything about the brand benefit in a sponsorship so you'll know you'll you'll notice let's say gaz had had a brand sponsorship in the uk it wouldn't be able to say whitest clothes ever they might just be able to make some sort of like euphemistic reference to the benefit like daz Brightening Britain, for example. Um, Faye, I have no idea who Sorry. Is. Like, Gaz, <laughs> Brightening Britain. So there's a real limit in what you can say short of just blasting the brand name. And the other thing that I would, I would sort of caution against with sponsorships is it's very hard to build reach above frequency. So you'll often be reaching the same people. Now, you might be reaching loads of people. And let's say you're a brand that just wants to reach a mass reach or maybe, for example, a very specific group. Let's say you're a baby brand and you might want to sponsor one born every minute. It might be a really good way to only reach around a relevant context. And that can be a way to target TV advertising. But there's a real limit in terms of like the message you can get across. Um, and they can be expensive. Like I'm sure the Bake Off sponsorship is in the millions. I guess... The idea is you kind of borrow the credibility of the show. So the Bake Off is like incredibly beloved. It represents something very pure and wholesome to those who watch it and enjoy it. So um, I think it's Aldi that sponsored it for the last season. So I guess what Aldi's kind of doing is it's just sort of nicking some of that good feeling. And that must have value. Yeah, you can associate with a brand and it can definitely help your overall brand equity often sponsorships sometimes brands do them you'll notice a lot of alcohol brands might sponsor sports or often brands will do them as just part of their broader toolkit of different ways of advertising they'll use um it's often not a first choice that brands will go to because if you really need to educate someone about your brand it's not a great choice but if you just want to be top of mind be salient win share a voice in for example a a commoditized category like chocolate or um, drinks or where you just need to be top of mind and need to be like there, there, there all the time. You know, Coke, you don't need to talk about a benefit, right? Like you see around football stadiums, often like sponsorship, things like that, as well as TV. It's just about being there. And if that has a merit for your brand objectives, go for it. Thanks, Ben. (laughs) I will. Okay, so that's kind of a basic look at how it works, but how can we make it work better? I'm going to be honest with you, Faye. The advert break is famously a time people walk away from their TV. Mm. It's a time to go to the bathroom or do some dishes or make a cup of tea. In the UK, we have this phenomenon called TV pickup, where you see spikes in national energy consumption during breaks between programming, because uh, everyone's basically going off to do stuff at the same time. How do you make sure people actually sit down and watch the stuff and you're getting your money's worth? when you spend all this money on advertising. Exactly. It's, yeah, it is, it's something that plagues us in ad land. You know, how can we really know that a TV ad was what we call viewable? Um, How do we know that all of our precious reach that we're buying and spending all this money for is even delivering? Um, And some of that we do know through habits in the barb panel. Like, obviously, if we knew that everyone, every single person wasn't even looking at a TV ad ever, the market would have died years ago. But yeah, so we can't ensure, we can't make people sit down and watch, but there are lots of ways we can try and optimize to make it work as hard as possible for us. So one of them is just 
sounds really simple, but the quality of the advert, adverts we make. So yes, there are things like kettles that are one of the things that can take away our attention from the TV. There are other things like phones, for example, which are an even bigger war on people's attention, as we say, than, than getting up and making a couple of cup of tea. So this sort of battle for attention, of course, gets harder and harder. So one of the first principles is make your advert good. Use sound well to ensure that if people aren't you know, watching the advert, maybe that will give them a cue to look up from their phone and have a look at it. Make an advert that's engaging. Make an advert that delivers the message in a clear you know, way or make it entertaining. And that is one way outside of just the way we buy TV that advertisers will be trying to make people watch. But there are lots of other ways where, as we know, people necessarily don't really want to watch adverts. So how can we best make them? Well, so this phenomenon of using your phone at the same time, we call that second screening. Everything has a name. So if you're second screening during the advert break, there is one clever thing now which um, is a capability where you can do something, I think it's called like AdSync, where that whilst your advert is on in the TV break, you can try and ensure a similar version of that advert also appears on someone's Instagram at the same time or on Facebook or whatever, you know, maybe it be in a web browser on a display banner and you can time them and sync them to try and make sure that if someone looks away from the TV, that advert might also pop up on their phone, which is spooky as hell. Wait, what? Yeah. As in, do they use your like Instagram data to guess what you might be watching? It's it's a combination of things. Some of it might just be timing. So if they can put an advert out on Instagram and control the time, they know when your advert goes out on TV, so they can sync them up in a very like rudimentary way. Um, if you have a connected TV or a TV where you're digitally plugged in, then it might be possible to to find you on another platform but i think it's broadly a time piece mm. oh so they're like i know it's screening at 10 p.m so i'm gonna pop it on the instagram at 10 p.m so even if they're double screening they're just getting double yes the they the get time. you one way or another oh. okay spooky things aside some of the other ways we can try and optimize is when we buy adverts obviously we just talked a bit about some spots delivering better impacts and things like that but um, one thing that we can also try and optimize is when your advert appears in the break. So there are a couple of measures. One is position in break. So what point in the advert break your advert appears. Um, so there is common wisdom that says the break right at the start of the ad break and the break and the advert right at the end of the ad break are the most quality because they're when people either haven't got up or they have sure. or they've just come back. They're hurrying back. Whereas the advert right in the middle of the break, graveyard shift. <laughs> um, there's something else which is, um, you know, some some TV programs have multiple breaks. So ideally, you'd be in the centre break rather than the break right after the program is finished when people are going to turn it off or they're going to get up or they're going on Twitter and talk about it. So um, obviously, you know, another thing that can affect the cost of TV is planners and and brands being quite picky in terms of their adverts and wanting high quality. And that's definitely something that John Lewis will do. You might have noticed when they launch their Christmas ad, they'll be the first ad in the break and they will make sure of that. Mm. And then I think the final thing that I'll really say about how can you ensure it works is it's all relative. Like advertising, there are so many media channels we can buy, digital, out of home, print, etc, etc. And, you know, you can't, guarantee someone doesn't scroll through you on social you can't guarantee someone doesn't flick past you on a magazine etc so it's all just a which is the most attention out of a, a declining span of attention across a lot of touch points and tv still rates pretty highly given like strong format on a big screen sound on um often focused attention versus you know commuting or whatever so i think it's just a yeah it's not perfect but maybe it's better than other other options Oh, what you said there was really interesting. The sound on, I guess, because you have the audio and the visual almost necessarily. Exactly. Very few together. people watch TV on mute, whereas if you look at a lot of digital, very few actually have the sound on. So digital adverts, we know we have to design them 
to be sound off, to make sense without the sound. And sound can be a really strong factor in making people remember things, you know, little ba-da-ba-ba-ba, jingles, things like that. They get in your head. So sound is very important as well as visual. And I suppose you're engaging two senses. Of course, yeah. better than one. Like, probably if you could, you would also somehow, like, pipe smell out of the Oh, dreamy. 4D. (laughs) (laughs) If I was um, a TV channel, do you know what I would do? Go on, tell me. I'd make it so every ad break was just, like, a random number of ads. So it could be (laughs) (laughs) It catches people off guard. So no one can ever leave because they're like, this might be the time that it's only one. I'll miss, this, oh like, my God, that is brilliant. <laughs> now, I want to ask you about the future. Ooh. We can get television on demand and the sort of broadcast linear TV. It's not the only game in town. I mean, especially not if you consider Netflix or YouTube or all the other things which are vying for our attention. So I guess my question to you, Faye, is... TV isn't what it used to be. Is it still necessary? Do you still need to buy these adverts? Yeah, so this whole, is TV dying? Do we need TV anymore? It is constant. It is the constant crisis of the advertising industry. Like, is the golden age of TV advertising over? All of these questions, people are freaking out. So yeah, we'll talk a bit about the reality of this and and what's, you know, just unnecessary flap and what is what is quite true we'll talk a bit about where it's going but yeah I think let's start off by talking about just the merits of TV I think like for me the biggest proof that TV is still worth doing is the fact that the big tech companies advertise on TV Google have TV adverts Facebook have TV adverts if digital is the the future and the only you know cheap effective efficient way to advertise things and they own their own platform, they wouldn't need TV. And they do. So TV still has so many, so many advantages. The main one simply is it allows you to deliver to deliver a quality, complex message in front of 80% of the population within a short time period. Yeah, so the real benefit is is a real strong balance of effectiveness with the long form great attention in relative terms versus scrolling through things on social, balance with the efficiency. And and those two things mean that the ROI, the profitability of TV is is really good. It pays out, it works, and the cost is worth it today. Is is this thing about narratives here as well? Like a TV advert is more likely to be able to tell you a story than, as you say, a static image or you know a random exactly let's take a complicated thing. product or if you're trying to launch and tell the consumer about something completely new that they they just don't understand it's very unlikely that you'll be able to deliver that with yeah one static image or maybe just an audio only advert on the radio versus something that is audio visual can you know walk people through things is very memorable so yeah the the format is is a real benefit of TV still. And I think the other thing is um, sometimes adverts seem to be sort of just trying to create a feeling or a sense of something. Famously, Mm. perfume adverts are, they're kind of oddball because a perfume advert isn't someone just saying, oh, I like this because it makes me smell like daisies. It'll be kind of this like, slightly more abstracted sense of whatever this perfume is meant to represent. Yeah, it's, it can be art. It can be entertainment. If you're trying to sell a really aspirational brand, you can create a mood. You can change someone's mood with an audiovisual format, you know, with music, with sound, your sexy galaxy adverts, your cool perfume adverts, your, you know, links, loads of sexy women are going to come and are going to come and shag you if you spray this deodorant on yourself. Like it, it, it is much more effective in that sense. Yes banging are there any other benefits or is that kind of it is it effectiveness and, and efficiency which to be honest and... like what what more do you want frankly it's quite greedy of me to ask for anything more so i apologize <laughs> mr tv okay so that's what's good about tv tell me what if, what's not so good okay so um one of the things one of the audiences that tv has never been good for or never been efficient to reach 
are particularly niche audiences. So let's say um, people with babies. Only a small percentage of the population have babies. Maybe people who live in a certain area and you're a local business. Deeply conservative vegans in the 16 to Perfect. There isn't a TV bracket. audience to buy deeply conservative vegans in the 16 to 34 age bracket. Whereas online, if you're the deeply conservative vegan in the 16 to 34 age bracket, we can possibly find out your age. We can possibly see that you're interested in vegan uh, brands and also that you keep clicking on conservative. Yeah, there are like there are limitations pages. to targeting on online, but you can definitely have a good go. You can you can find people in certain demographics almost perfectly, like ages, regions, gender, very very effectively. You can also use, like you say, um, things that you've observed about their online behavior to indicate personally some what their buying habits what might be. So now there are limitations to that. For example, if someone spends loads of time googling dogs, you might assume they have a pet when actually, and and serve them and serve them some pet food advert when actually they could just have a dog allergy. So it's not perfect, but like you say it is if you really do have a niche audience where it's there's just no other benefits of reaching a lot of people. Like for example, sometimes baby products they might want to also be starting to build their brand with just younger women because in the next five years they might have a baby and then they'd know the brand. So there are sometimes benefits like of those smaller audiences, but when it's really niche, there just isn't. So then TV doesn't work. And again, to kind of recap on our influencer episode, if you had someone who was like a mummy influencer, you might just want to give her a bunch of money because you know the people who are looking at her content are probably going to be mums or mums to be exactly tv is only the most efficient and effective way to reach people for mass audiences otherwise look at other ways so that kind of explains why the adverts you see on tv tend to be for sort of more general products i imagine it'd be quite hard for a small brand without a huge advertising budget to yes exactly for and then And then, so let's talk about this sort of decline of TV and who's not watching anymore. So I think all of the articles being written about the decline of TV now, they are based around the decline in viewership. So the fact is, over time, fewer people have watched TV than they were watching 10 years ago. So yes, fewer and fewer people are watching TV. It is pretty stable for older people, but where this trend is most pronounced is younger people. Younger people are watching less TV. And there might be some younger people that just are not watching any TV anymore. So yes, there has been a decline in viewers. So if you know that your your product really only appeals to them or that you really need to target them to build a brand of the future, etc, etc, you can't reach everyone on TV anymore. However, this sort of decline in TV amongst young people It is maybe steadier than a lot of people are saying. It's not that 16 to 34-year-olds aren't watching any TV. There's still plenty that are watching TV. I think the more worrying trend is the amount of time that the 16 to 34-year-olds are spending watching. So some 16 to 34-year-olds might just be watching even 10 minutes of TV in a given month. So yeah, they become lighter and lighter viewers. Like Maybe they still are watching... The Lion of Duty final or an episode of Gogglebox once a month or some of an episode of Gogglebox once a month because they happen to go into the living room when their flatmate's watching it or their mom, etc. But it just means that you're going to have to spend way more money and way more effort to reach them. And what that means for the future of TV is the cost to reach the same amount of people will go up if people are watching are watching less advertising per month and you're delivering more wastage and you're hitting the same people again so either your budget stays flat and you reach fewer people or you have to invest more so again this whole tv being a really efficient way to reach people just becomes less and less true over time it's kind of like i guess the general concern is tv could die out because if we're not encouraging younger generations of really avid tv viewers and they don't develop those habits, the older people who are watching it 
when they, you know, <laughs> you know, in a, yeah, if we're talking like in a hundred years time or whatever, will TV even still be here or will it be no longer that profitable for a commercial station? Exactly. Exactly. And this is what there is a study by, um, there's a study by Ubiquity back in 2019 who predicted that by 2022, TV would not be the most efficient, effective medium anymore versus its competitors, you know, other display ads, radio, digital, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I think it is a very valid worry for certain audiences specifically. But for now, TV is still an effective and efficient re- medium for reaching a mass audience. So it kind of sounds like TV advertising is something that your big brands with your big old products trying to reach everyone still do. It's just not what it used to be. It's a kind of say that phrase again, that you're just not getting the same results for spend that you would when TV was really like, exactly. the central game in town. I was just going to say it's interesting because like you got radio and um I assume there were kind of fears that radio would get essentially killed off by TV because audiovisual, it's just audio. But radio keeps Yeah, going. radio's pretty stable and um especially for example in Ireland, radio is 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 booming. Like it's it's still very it has a really high listenership. It's and I think radio can deliver really high reach. It's also a lot the one of the great benefits of radio which is perhaps a real con of tv is like a tv advert costs a lot to make a real quality tv advert and bear in mind this is something that you you could be spending millions and millions of pounds to put in front of people you don't want to make it crap you want to put a really good piece of creative on it adverts could cost hundreds and hundreds of thousand pounds to make on tv because the production quality the shoots Radio, you can make a radio ad that's pretty good for a couple of grand. So the barriers to entry for radio are much lower. So I do think radio can be really effective for its own reasons. I mean, we basically we are. Radio, so uh, we've got to big up the radio. <laughs> Shh, Laura, don't make people turn off now. I guess. I guess there was. You might remember a song which claimed that video killed oh, the radio yes. star. But actually... Who's had the last laugh? (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about Mm. the pandemic. I understand. I understand that this pandemic, uh, you know, it hit us all, but it also especially hit TV, broadcast TV advertising. Yeah, it's, it's super interesting because COVID had a few different impacts on... TV and TV advertising. So let's have a look at them. So in terms of TV viewership, like actual people sitting down and watching TV, that has increased short term in the pandemic. So this long term trend, I think, has temporarily been booked by the pandemic, which is a lot of, if you think about it, people at home watching the news, you know, not going out. So TV did see a temporary bump. Um, However, a lot of that TV watching bump has also helped streaming services rather than, for example, broadcast media. And yeah, stream, streaming services exploded in COVID. Which, exactly. Yeah, they super cleaned up. Didn't like Disney Plus launch during COVID? <laughs> I had a little joke, which, yeah, I had a little joke about Disney Plus saying <laughs> when the pandemic first started that they'd caused it just to engineer the perfect context for their launch. Yikes. Imagine, I could definitely get sued for that one. But yeah, so subscriptions prevail. About 3 million adults in the UK started using a subscription service for the first time in COVID. And they've kind of stabilised, you know, after as the UK starts to come out of lockdown, etc. These subscriptions have, haven't fallen off a cliff in the way that TV jumped up and then jumped back down. And then there were a few other things which also harmed broadcast TV in the pandemic when you'd think as you say everyone was staying at home watching more of it surely that's great but but you know programs stopped being made so mm. do you remember when episodes of eastenders ran out and emmerdale uh etc etc sports stopped so a huge amount of eyeballs went out of the market as well so when you think back to that supply and demand piece 
some of the supply was there. But let's say in the UK, a lot of that was probably watching the news. So the BBC, not, you know, no adverts. Whereas once all the, the Love Island went, the I'm a Celebrity, well, actually, no, that did continue in a castle in Wales, didn't it? But Love Island, EastEnders, etc. when that all went, those people, the supply, moved to streaming services. And then another thing that also happened is a lot of advertisers... You know, their businesses weren't relevant. Travel stopped advertising. Hotels stopped advertising. A hell of a lot of advertising revenue, demand, went out of the game. So you have this whole, like, there's not that many programs on. There's loads of people around, but there's not that many programs to watch. There's no sport on. There's not as many companies to advertise. Even relevant companies didn't didn't have any confidence in advertising. There were plenty. There were a few companies that kept their advertising spend stable, but they were kind of the minority. Um, so lots of spend going out, fewer commercial airtime to be watched, and loads of streaming services. So a very mixed time for for TV. I suppose you've got the like the sports back, and I'm sure that helped. And they figured out ways of producing the soaps and all these other things. And the Bake Off, they quarantine them all together Mm. so there's like a little bit of a return to normality but exactly a a lot of people are saying that 2021 ad spend will see a real a real boom again a real recovery uh, in the uk especially if everything continues to to go well with with the recovery but um so it's a wait and see so i think covid has kind of stemmed the long-term decline but it's also set off a load of other trends like the proliferation of streaming services, which don't look great for standard linear commercial TV like Channel 4 ITV. I 100% have not watched live TV outside of possibly a news broadcast um, since the Bake Off. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, yeah, you, so you're one of these young people that has stopped more or less stopped watching tv so you you're harder to reach from someone like me all on demand for me yeah so let's let's talk about that then so let's talk about the future of tv and how i guess the big question when it comes to the future of tv is how is broadcast tv going to remain viable in a on-demand streaming exactly yeah how can it maintain its status as a really effective way to advertise to people and there were a few there were a few conversations about this and this is what the channel fours the itvs of the world have to think about in a way to preserve advertising spend so one of them yeah is this future of, of streaming now that streaming has become such a big part of the way that younger people watch tv so obviously you've got the like the broadcasters who have included um, streaming platforms, the ITV players, the 4ODs, and they they can really help because obviously younger people are more likely to be the people watching video on demand, as we call it, um, watching TV on catch up, etc. So that introduces another way to reach them, which definitely helps. I think something else that we could potentially even see is what does a world look like where all of these other streaming services, Netflix, Amazon, are their funding models, you know, subscription, etc., advertising proof? Or will they eventually need advertising revenue to survive? So we're already seeing things like in the US, Hulu, the streaming service, go into more of like a hybrid freemium model, you know, with the, the sort of like Spotify model where you have a an ads version and then you have a paid for ads free version, a premium version. Even YouTube is starting to go like that. So do you have a world where Netflix, Amazon Prime do start to include adverts as a way to make more and more money? And we're starting to see this bubbling. We're starting to see Netflix publishing data about their show ratings. You know, the likes of Netflix, Amazon, they don't they don't allow the Barb panel to report anything about the viewership of these programs. The Barb panel, people can very well be watching Netflix, but Netflix won't allow them to report on them. And as soon as Netflix starts talking about its viewability and its viewer ratings, that to me is saying they're getting ready for a world where they're signaling to advertisers that they have a viable platform on which to advertise. Their data must be perfect. They have people's ages, like subscription TV is, Exactly. It's a way to know more exactly about who you're trying to to reach. And that is exactly what we're talking about when we're saying, 
how do you main, make TV viable? It's how do you continue to make it a cost-effective touchpoint to find these people that are really hard to find on mainstream TV by knowing that they're watching Netflix and being able to target them and have zero wastage. Yeah, because they're not even using a sample size. They're just saying, we've got this many hits and this many mm. clicks. Well, that sounds very hard to come Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I had another um, question actually about TV advertising though, and it's about uh, respectability, I suppose, and trust. Is there a higher level of trust if something is presented to you on TV than if it's, uh, say, thrown at you via an online platform? Obviously, as a brand manager, you might say, well, I don't want to just put in random YouTube clicks because my product could appear next to something really horrible, like something really ghastly that's made its way up to YouTube. But also, do consumers respect certain platforms more? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. I think we we don't have a lot of data to be able to show one way or another, but I think we can learn from trends during the pandemic, for example, about the credibility of news media everyone is getting news on Twitter, on Facebook, etc. But as soon as something so serious as the pandemic came, people were tuning into the BBC, because that was the source where they trusted to get the news from. There's no fake news there. And I think then we can apply a similar kind of effect to advertising. You know, if you get served something random on Instagram, you don't know where it could be, where it's come from. Those random school shaver ads you see on the tube, which I swear are a money laundering scam. Um, Because I'm like, how do you have enough money? And this advert is really awful and looks like it was made on MS Paint. So what's going on? So yeah, I think that TV, because of the huge barriers to entry, I'm I'm sure there will be an inherent, like, that you have to go to so much effort to scam people via TV. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. But sorry, going back to, we've got our broadcast TV and we've got the looming spectre of a potential Netflix competitor. Uh, I imagine that's very terrifying if you're ITV or Channel 4 or any number of commercial stations. You could, I guess, just completely turn your model to some sort of on-demand service, but that hasn't happened yet. Why hasn't that happened yet? So are you saying why doesn't ITV go completely on demand yeah the way of bbc3 just completely i think then you are really shooting yourself in the foot because do you remember what we said about all of those over 35s the the kind of stable viewers Mm -hmm. yeah maybe that is something that could happen in the future and i think that's a a long time in the future yet once all of our zoomers grow up to be boomers but yeah exactly um yeah and they never learn to embrace the exactly but currently i think they would just lose a huge chunk of people and therefore a huge chunk of change overnight yeah, and I suppose a lot of people who actually yeah, have money. exactly. That that's the thing. Like, they are, you know, a huge percentage, like fifty percent of the population is over fifty, like, a, and they have a lot of disposable income, big buying power. So they're a very affluent group, and you don't want to ignore them. Fifty percent of the population. It's an aging 50? population. Wow. Okay, sorry, my mind's been a bit blown. Let me try to get this. Pop them back. back. Pop them back in. Get the question. super glue out. Okay, we're going to go rogue. I hope you're ready. Because I'm going to ask you about addressable oh, advertising. It's the sci-fi section. Ready? Yes. <laughs> okay. So I was reading uh, Marketing Week's article, TV ads at 60, a history, as is my want. I have very little life. And this particular timeline said that in 2014, here's a quote, Sky brought its tailored advertising service service which serves ads based on customer data to linear tv for the first time Mm. that is a whole thing because as you said before when we think about tv ads we don't really think about being able to do that exactly with broadcast so what is addressable advertising and is it it's a game changer it's very much still in its in its infancy But yes, exactly. So addressable just means you can target it to a specific person, let's say at a really basic level. So um, back to what you said about Netflix and they have the perfect data of who's watching. This is very much the same. So Mm. let's say this is people who have a skybox, who've got all the details in there. They're in a specific postcode, et cetera, et cetera. Um, One flat 
where Sky know that that flat or that house, they have a baby, for example, could be shown on standard broadcast TV, a completely different advert to the house next door who don't have a baby because of addressable advertising. And then that is game changing because of everything we've talked about, about these discrete audiences. All of a sudden, that could open up TV for all of these really niche brands who have just been like, I can't, like mass TV is silly because it's so expensive and I might not even reach my target audience anyway. Whereas now they might be able to. Um, even smaller brands, it might give, it might remove some of these barriers to entry of, of big TV. So it's definitely something. And, and we're starting to see not just Sky Ad Smart, so all the Sky boxes creating this, but we're starting to see Channel 4 buying into this. ITV bubbling about making their own addressable TV platform, Virgin Media in Ireland. So this is huge. And obviously, this is something that advertisers are demanding to be able to do. So in a world where all the big advertisers are like, this is the future, the TV broadcasters need to catch up and, and make sure that they they don't miss out. If Sky AdSmart all of a sudden gets a perfect platform that can reach loads of people with addressable TV, it's game over for everyone else. But wouldn't that require the specific box so could consumers kind of opt out well this is one this is one theory like yes they should be able to opt out of their data being used you know for gdpr reasons in a a way they don't agree with so i'm sure there could be ways around it well just you don't have the sky box if you just have like an old well which is yes so but is there a future where free free view and smart tvs and you know connected tv etc etc like i i don't think analog tv as we know it is going to be around after the next 10 years it'll be just like this group of people who really desperately want to live like yes the off-grid people and they've just got these like free (laughs) view what's that grandma yeah getting these like 90s television sets i don't want to connect to networks i don't want to share because all, system. I mean, all Very TV much. is digital nowadays. Do you remember when they turned off terrestrial TV and my grandma had to get a digital, a freebie box? You cannot get terrestrial TV. I think that was what, like 10 years ago? I'm so shocked. <laughs> I completely missed that. So yeah, it's, this is definitely the future. And yeah. What? There's no terrestrial TV anymore? No. What do the TV towers do? Just look atmospheric? Oh my days. I'm sorry. You need to <laughs> sorry, you can. I just put my mind back. You together. can go and get your smelling salts. And <laughs> okay. okay, okay, fine. So that's addressable um, advertising. Spooky, spooky, sci-fi, mm. spooky. Uh, here's my other left field okay. question. So I was uh, looking at this 2015 article by Barnaby Gerling, who is a co-founder of the creative agency Alpha Century, and he was writing in the Guardian, and he said. The next 60 years, we'll see smart brands directly funding TV shows without turning them into extended ads. As medium to large brands in the UK easily spend 10 million to 50 million on buying media, paying talent and producing campaigns. And he goes on to say that uh, Spectre, the Bond film, quote, reporting one third paid for by brands. In real terms, that could be $100 million or 65 million pounds of marketing cash. Mm. Is that the future that brands just pay people to make tv shows i mean it's a really extreme version of product placement isn't it it's not product placement it's just the the tv show is almost an afterthought of the the brand you know what i it it's so this is fascinating like i don't know if that is the future but i'm sure there is a reality where that might become more and more of a thing if like i said brands can spend hundreds of thousands on on an advert so what if there was a platform where you could cut out the middleman of paying for the media spend and turn it into something i think there are limitations for that like again in terms of reach like you might spend a hell of a lot of money and then just reach a really limited amount of people because it's one program versus reaching a lot of people with lots of different tastes but it could potentially happen like in ireland in the world where it's a lot more commercial our tv environment i'd say over here there have been instances i think of, of programs being commissioned by brands or um or kind of co-commissioned by brand and saying that the sponsorship will be a lot more of a quality sponsorship than just those five second in five second outs that we talked about earlier for example the presenters would wear uh, branded clothing you know so the brand would be a lot more present throughout the show versus just a bookend so uh i think it would be a stretch for that 
like that's I don't believe that will replace advertising, but it's an option. And yeah, I think it's I mean, it was written in 2015, but who knows? Who's to say? Yeah, I guess like the reports about Spectre being partly funded by brands, that must be like a popular Yeah, I remember, I think, being dragged to see Jurassic World. And I swear that your man was being chased by a load of dinosaurs and he just sat down and had a long sip of Coke. I was just like, eh, I might want to run. I might run away. But sure. So yeah, I, I'm sure, like, I think product placement in films is probably happening more and more. Um, and perhaps one, that's one of the that's another avenue that Netflix, etc., can go down, more product placement. But I suppose we could just end up in a world where you go see a movie and, you know, the producer Me. is just... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Directed by Gaz. What a world. <laughs> it would be just this, like, really gritty kitchen <laughs> drama. Oh, yeah. Directed by Ken Loach. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Sorry, <laughs> Let's commission this right he was, now. He's got such white shirts. <laughs> um, well, that's that's been a journey, Faye. Yeah. Um, so what have we learned? I think we've, ever so much. Um, we learned that TV is a funny old thing and perhaps reports of its death have been overstated, but there are genuine concerns about its potential mortality uh we learned that when you're buying advertising you're generally buying people and not spots in specific shows unless you're doing a sponsorship we learned that there are certain ways to make people watch your adverts when they could be doing literally anything else in that time between programs we've learned there are some spooky things that we might see in the future netflix might become full of ads we might be served super targeted ads. We've learned that any one of us could be in the mysterious cult of the barb panel. And we've learned that when you're watching a TV advert, that same TV advert could pop up on your phone. Oh, yeah. Ugh. The thing is, I'm sort of used to being targeted. So I don't know why it feels grim for broadcast TV to do the same. Maybe just because it felt like the final frontier of... Um, Something you could turn off, whereas your phone is, I guess, always with you and perhaps more personal. But I guess like, it's also the thing about the addressable advertising and TV. People will probably find mm. that creepy, even though we're so used to it, just because they're like, I thought this mm. was safe. I guess it'd be like if you're walking past like an advert on the tube and then you start Yeah, and be like, wait, come back, Faye. <laughs> and then you just be like, oh. <laughs> they know everything. We know when you normally get your last train. <laughs> They'll be waiting. <gasps> oh, <no. laughs> It's like a really low stakes. Like, <laughs> yeah. What if this is very what if phones, but too much? And that's the conclusion. Excellent. Well, good job, Faye, and good job, listeners. I hope that this has given you something to think about next time you put the on... kettle when you're watching Coronation Street. Keep putting it on. Oh, wait, no, except it might lead to power surges. Be careful. Be careful out there, kids. Um, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. I've had a great time. I hope you have too. If you want to uh, engage with us, we'd love engagement. You can find us on Twitter at what's the Twitter? At Instagram? how they get you underscore. And what's the Instagram? At handle? how they get you without the underscore. Please do give us a follow, uh, like and share with your mates, tell your mum. Reviewers Review us. on uh, Apple Podcasts would be amazing. We've had some really lovely reviews. Um, yeah, and uh, tell me maybe if you'd like to give me an economics lesson about supply and demand. Faye, this is really no time to hit on an anonymous pool. I just love economists. <laughs> That's what your mother's always said. <laughs> Faye, go out and find yourself an economics man. Um, until next time, guys. Bye. Bye.